Changing healthcare starts with a dream. Better care, smarter care, and healthier people. Listen weekly as Dr. Gregory Goodman interviews today's most innovative MDs as they transform healthcare and share their journey from white coat to business suit, highlighting lessons learned and golden prescriptions for your success. Join us today and get your doctor-recommended dose of MD Innovation. So this is Dr. Greg Goodman, your host of The Modern MD. I've got Dr. Julian Pham, who's the founder and chief medical officer of Rubicon MD. He's passionate about bringing specialist knowledge to patient care in a way that's simple and convenient. Prior to joining Rubicon MD, he was on the faculty at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Julian is the founder of Rhino, Rapid Health Innovation, the first of its kind internal digital health innovation lab at Brigham. He's a board certified nephrologist. Julian, welcome to the Modern MD and honor to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Greg. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about you personally and your journey as a physician entrepreneur. Yeah, somewhat of an unusual journey. I uh, spend a lot of time actually on this side talking to uh, clinicians, physicians at all different uh, different types of uh, at different level of their career, of what it takes to kind of make that leap uh, from the practice of medicine to entrepreneurship. And uh, at the end of the day, I always tell them that uh, it's always a personal decision, personal personal choice. My journey has really been about going through a somewhat traditional course in academia, being really interested in providing excellent care to patients. And as I gained experience uh, and uh, improved in my uh, training, I became interested in uh, research and uh, specifically translational research. I did a few projects as a fellow and uh, really fell in love with the idea of doing kind of cutting edge type of research. And I was in an environment where it was easier for me to have the right connections uh, and doing that. And then later uh, kind of faced a, uh, a major obstacle uh, in, in getting uh, grant money to continue research. And I think that's the same battle that a lot of junior faculty are facing. I came very close to getting a, a major grant to continue my, my, to continue my research. But uh, um, I also you know, kind of found myself in a situation where I tried to um, really discover what, what I wanted to do uh, truly in the, in the next five to ten years of my, in my career. And uh, what I discovered in that kind of self-discovery stage was that uh, I really had an entrepreneurial spirit. It was uh, it was around that time, about five six years ago, that I started participating in uh, hackathons at uh, MIT Hacking Medicine, and uh, really fell in love with that that vision, that ability to connect with different people from uh, from different backgrounds, and uh, and uh, so bring those skills and different tools to. Um, to build something that's useful for for medicine in general, I I, I liked it so much uh, that I wanted to bring the spirit of hacking into the academic medical center, and that's when I created uh, Rhino or Reno Rapid Health Innovation. The whole idea was really to bring 
uh, engineers into a, a, an academic, uh, academic medical center and allow for physicians to bounce ideas, uh, engineers, help of engineers, and try to build minimal viable products and prototype you know, digital health um, as, kind of as, as a model. After doing a few projects and being involved more and more within the uh, Boston ecosystem, I, that's when I uh, bumped into uh, Gil and Carlos, my two co-founders at Rubica and MD. Thought that the idea was really great. Uh, the team was phenomenal, and I had heard that you know I'd been involved with enough people pitching different ideas for the past two three years, and I really felt that this was a powerful idea and a powerful mission. And so we decided to execute on that. I slowly transitioned from academic, my academic role. Became part-time for a few months and then eventually made the personal choice to leave academia and go full-time with Rubicon MD. I think uh, I've always loved medicine. Uh, my, my father was a physician as well, and uh, it's truly a vocation for me. So there's no way I'm going to leave medicine altogether. So currently I'm still practicing. I moon night one weekend a month, uh, private practice, just so I can keep my skills up and and have the privilege of taking care of patients, but the rest of my time is spent with Rubicon MD. What an incredible story, Julian. And it, it sounds like you made that leap and transition. And at the end, you said it, it really is a privilege to take care of patients. And it's exciting that you continue to do that. We love to kind of launch the show with a success quote. Do you have a success quote or something that's important to you that you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, actually, I've, I've always lived with a, a, a credo that uh, you're only as important as the impact you have on others. Myself and my family actually live by that. Uh, we do a lot of work abroad, humanitarian uh, missions, etc. And we always believe in kind of paying it forward. Stems from a kind of a long personal story as well with uh, how we left uh, Vietnam as immigrants, you know, having lost everything, but still kind of thinking about the chance that we had, uh, the luck that we had, you know, being alive and being able to do what we do. You know, everything I do, I always keep that in mind to um, always pay it forward and uh, doing things, you know, thinking of others first. That's awesome. And, and I think it's so important. And, you know, we're really honored that you're paying it forward and, and sharing your story and journey with, with many others that, you know, might find it really helpful. So thank you. So I want to transition into what I'm terming the white coat to business suit. I know you mentioned the, the transition and you still maintain um, some clinical practice, but can you just talk, take us to that mindset and you know how you made the leap and maybe why you made the leap? Um, yeah, it's actually a lot more uh, intricate than this. Um, along the way, through this kind of self-discovery journey, as I was transitioning from academia uh, or from full-time medicine to, uh, to entrepreneurship, I I realized that there were so many parallels between the training of medicine and what I think is the training of a uh, of an entrepreneur or a founder. You you go through similar stages. Um, even the process of thinking about research or thinking about building a product and testing it in a in a, in a market uh, are very similar. Uh, in a way, it's a form of scientific method uh, if you think of it in terms of the uh, lean startup methodology. And so as I was discovering more and more parallels between the two, I, I really became interested and thought to myself, well, you know, it's one thing to be able to uh, treat one patient at a time. You know, it's like I said, it's, it's a privilege to have that patient-physician relationship. But at the end of the day, your impact is powerful for that person, but it's there. You know, if there's a way you can channel uh, your knowledge, your skills, your passion to actually have an impact at a much larger scale, what would it have to be like? What would it look like? And I think for me, 
Personally, uh, it looks something uh, closer to entrepreneurship, where you are able to use the same thinking process, uh, the same similar rationale and reasoning through a quote-unquote scientific method, uh, but are able to apply your passion, your skills, your your intelligence uh, at a much, much larger scale. And also, you know, through the challenges that I was going through in academia, now I was facing in academia, I also realized that, you know, no matter how driven you are, a lot of times within an institution or within an organization, uh, what you do is a project and it's extremely difficult to scale that out outside of that institution. Even if you're, you know, Harvard, it's, you know, it's rare. Whereas if you were to start uh, building something, even if it's small, but with the mindset that your goal is to scale it out in the first place, then, you know, it's the it's the opposite, right? You're thinking scale, but uh, able to focus it. And so the, the vision is slightly different and the goal is slightly different. And I find that even two years after we've started uh, Rubicon MD, we are much more scaled than any other projects that you know, we could have done had we started it off within an institution. What an incredible kind of story. And, and thanks for sharing your, your entrepreneurial transition or mindset. I think, you know, entrepreneurship, when thought about, you know, like a vehicle, you know, to, to really bring change or impact, like you're saying, is very powerful. So that was really cool. So I want to transition into what I'm terming the idea to venture. And I was kind of blessed. I, I think I saw the early stages of Rubicon MD. And, you know, I, I would love for you to share kind of the big vision and, you know, what, what you're trying to solve. Absolutely. So Gil Carlos and I met at a MIT hacking medicine event about two and a half years ago. I was actually helping out as a mentor there. Gil had left his uh, job as a consultant, uh, and he had this idea that it had been simmering for you know, uh, some time now. He wanted to find a way to connect primary care with specialists uh, in a more efficient way. Uh, initially, it wasn't clear whether this was going to be a patient patient-facing platform or physician-facing platform, but uh, there were clearly kind of two sides to it. One, it would be, you know, uh, bringing together and curating a group of really top-notch specialists, and on the other end, it would be somehow helping primary care, uh, you know, have access to those specialists. Carlos uh, was there. Uh, at the time, he was at the Harvard Business School, and uh, uh, there was a much larger team, and, um, you know, they uh, iterated on the idea, um, had a pitch at the end. Uh, it was really uh, fun and interesting. I joined them during the hackathon. And then after the event, uh, you know, we kind of all called each other and to see, you know, who would be committed to continue. And I really liked the team and I really liked the idea, even if it wasn't exactly what we're doing now. And so Gil Carlos and I decided that we would continue this journey. A month later, that's when we met you uh, at the MedStart uh, hackathon. There, was, uh, there were um, other different people who joined the team at that time. We iterated further on this idea, and that, that's where it kind of started coming together. I suggested to the team that doing a form of telemedicine using Skype, for example, can be pretty inconvenient because physicians are always busy, they're always running late. You'd have to find a way to connect them at the same time. It's, it's not very practical. Um, and so I suggested that we try to build a platform uh, that was asynchronous would allow uh, a primary care a provider to quote-unquote curbside a uh, specialist and uh, use that information to uh, to deliver care, you know, at some later time for their patients. So 
obviously those cases would have to be non-urgent and uh, with practice medicine. So you know that the majority of medicine, at least outpatient medicine, is, is about ambiguity of care. Um, it's, it's not necessarily black and white. And uh, there are a lot, many more situations in, in medicine where you, uh, you need to find uh, information that you can't find in textbook. That's why we practice medicine and we can't, we can't just become physicians like straight out of medical school. We, if you remember, we actually came up with that model at MedStart, pitched it, and I think we won best pitch that day and continued on. The next thing was to, uh, we built a team, it was Bill Carlos and I, and we decided to experiment further. And we did this in several stages. One is to, first of all, see whether this is something that physicians would actually use. And so we put it out there. Uh, I tested it through a survey. Instead of having uh, colleagues of mine page me, and have me respond to them. They would actually go through the survey and ask a question if they needed to ask a question. So that was a true MVP, if you think about it. And we actually found that it worked. Sometimes they just wanted a quick question and I could respond to them asynchronously. I didn't have to return a page every single time. We tested that further through some connections. We were able to get to build, you know, so Carlos started building a platform a little bit more sophisticated than, uh, than a survey. And we tested it out next in an urgent care setting which is somewhat different from primary care. You know, it's a very busy environment. Uh, the uh, provider there was able to use the platform several times. We, col- we collected about 100 data points. We're able to find that, you know, 30% of cases were able to avoid referrals. You know, he had his answer from, uh, from one of our specialists. He was satisfied with it. As we uh, moved on from that proof of concept, the next step was actually to see whether we could scale this a little bit further and, and bring it into an actual setting uh, where it, you could um, reduce uh, uh, reduce costs. We joined an accelerator. I spent I left uh, I left Brigham and Women's to focus my time on Lincoln MD. I onboarded more and more specialists, and eventually we built a network. Now we have about 100 specialists covering 36 different specialties. They all come from all over the country, trained at top-notch institutions. Uh, I think that's accounted 90% of. The staff, the specialists on the network have trained at a top-tier institution or are still practicing there. The next phase was really to uh, test that out in a, a various different uh, environments and uh, see whether we could reduce wastage and, and kind of optimize pre-referrals. Test it out in some of our customers in Seattle and, and all across the country and um, have uh, found similar numbers. Uh, now we have well over 1,500 data points and I've found that in 36% of cases, we avoid referrals altogether. Another 32, 33% show improved referrals in that uh, the patient is still being referred uh, locally to a specialist, but they're going to the right specialist at the right time and with the right labs and studies and no duplicated labs or no duplicated uh, imaging studies. Um, and then uh, the rest is really kind of peace of mind. Uh, a lot of times the uh, providers know what they're doing. They sometimes it just need a little bit of reassurance from a specialist to know that, yes, no, I picked the right med. You know, I should, I should be okay with this plan for the next six weeks. Uh, it will buy me some time or we should, uh, you know, monitor this a little bit longer. And uh, that's where we are right now. So we have really we have proven this uh, this model in uh, two of uh, three uh, verticals that we're targeting, starting to make inways into the third vertical. So we are very we're ideal for what's called direct primary care. There are clinics who uh, contract with employers to provide care, you know, in the primary care setting at a, at a reduced cost. 
And uh, we also uh, are ideal for what are called the on-site or near-site clinics, somewhat similar to DPC. Also, clinics who are within a building, for example, or, or near an employer. So, uh, banks uh, in New York City or uh, various factories uh, in the Midwest or even Silicon Valley. We have a, a clinic within a, a big Silicon Valley company. You know, that's uh, where the physicians, they are treating the, uh, you know, the employees of that company. And then finally, uh, where we're heading next is actually in uh, primary care ACOs or any value-based you know, institutions or organizations can be IPAs or, or ACOs. That's where we are right now. What an incredible uh, journey, Julian. And, and I think Rubicon's uh, got, a, got a lot of exciting opportunities in, in the future. So really exciting. One of the things, and I don't know if you mind kind of just touching on it, is this thought of, you know, there's a lot of thought around failure in entrepreneurship. And I don't know if you'd mind kind of touching on maybe a failure or a lesson learned during the uh, the Rubicon uh, journey. During the Recon journey, oh, there have been so many failures. You know, luckily, I, I, uh, I'm lucky to work with two really smart guys. And, you know, we make sure that those failures are not major, major failures. So there are little um, obstacles uh, that we have to uh, you know, get around, but uh, typically, typically we've done okay. Uh, challenging sometimes to find uh, right um, employees. It's, uh, you know, there are a lot of talent out there. Uh, you have to find people who are uh, excited and passionate about entrepreneurship. Uh, there's a certain amount of sacrifice in uh, joining a startup. Obviously, it's very different from joining a well-established company where you have a bunch of benefits, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You're more assured of uh, what your future is. So this is clearly a more high-risk uh, enterprise. You know, you, you meet people all along the way who give you advice. Uh, people always have advice, especially around healthcare, when uh, you usually deal with uh, really smart people, either have medical experience or healthcare experience, or even in the financial side of things or on the payer side of things. And people will give you uh, different opinions. It's, it's very important to uh, uh, to make sure that you somehow check in uh, with yourself to ensure that uh, this is something that, that is aligned with the, with the mission or the values of the company and not just jump on any opportunities. I speak to specifically about, uh, for example, funding opportunities. Some some people would come in and are very interested in investing in your company, and you know they do their due diligence. But if it's not an investor that can provide you some kind of strategic value add, then it's something you may want to uh, reconsider. So these are some of the things that's covered. You know, the um, uh, being in a startup full time is it's all about the experience, and the reason why I wanted to do this is because I wanted to subject myself to actually the the experience of being an entrepreneur, not just thinking about a great idea. There are a lot of clinicians, physicians out there who have great ideas and come in as advisors. And it's one thing uh, to be an advisor, but it's something else to be involved with the day-to-day uh, decision-making of the company. Uh, and I really wanted to go through that in the same way that you go through internship or fellowship. It's truly about, about the experience of telling a patient that, uh, you know, you can't do anything for them anymore or withdrawing care. So it's one thing to talk about it or to think about it from a theoretical standpoint. It's something very different to do it yourself. And I think the people that I work with tend to be people who execute, who are doers. And so, uh, yeah, you need to make sure that you have the right team uh, who, who kind of does that. You touched on so many important things. I'm going to highlight a few. I mean, I think, you know, one of the pieces is getting the right people 
you know, entrepreneurship's not for everyone. To your point, there's risk. You know, you're going to work seven days a week. There's, there's a grind to it, but it's a fun and exciting and can be an incredibly rewarding journey. So I think you shared a lot there that's really valuable. So I want to shift into our last section called not our typical hospital rounds. So these are business rounds. And I want to ask you, Julian, what is the best advice you've ever been given? In terms of entrepreneurship, uh, I would say it's to to really kind of go for it and, and be and and be passionate about what you do. Very often, you know, when you are academically successful, uh, you tend to get into certain kind of preconditioned journey where it's easy to just go up, climb the echelons, and go uh, go up in rankings step by step. Really being passionate about an idea and really going for it, meaning in this case, in my personal case, to uh, to make that leap and go from, from you know full-time medicine to entrepreneurship uh, is uh, extremely enriching, extremely rewarding. I love it. You know, the fact that you jumped in and and uh, committed, I think, is is incredible. It takes a lot of courage to do that. So really awesome. So the the next question is about daily habits or, or daily success habits. One of the things I've studied with you know, a lot of the physician entrepreneurs like yourself is that they have these daily habits or routines that, you know, they might attribute to their success. Do you have something that you do on a daily basis that you'd like to share? Yeah, I wake up very early in the morning, typically, usually uh, before 6 a.m. or you know, 6.30 a.m. or so. I, I like mornings because that's when I'm, I can be the most productive. I can go on with my day without getting too many distractions and I can have at least a couple hours where I can do things that are uh, kind of in the buildup of what the rest of my day is. Typically kind of organizing myself, uh, looking at the calendar, uh, reading the news, staying up to date with what's happening, uh, responding to emails real quick. The good thing is that in my role as a chief medical officer, a lot of the people that I interact with frequently are other clinicians in the network and everybody else wakes up early, uh, maybe because they have uh, things that they have to do at the hospital or, or whatnot, but uh, it's convenient that way. I, uh, it's a good time to communicate with, uh, with the network. I tend to be somewhat of a uh, productivity uh, ninja. I like to, uh, to have a certain routine. I always try to find that little tool, that little hack that's going to uh, make that routine a little bit more efficient. At the end of the day, it actually probably does the opposite because I, you know, I sign up for all these different uh, online tools, like calendar tools or whatnot, to uh, try to buy myself like you know eight to ten minutes each time. But uh, I have so many tools that it actually gets uh, more confusing. But I like that. Uh, I tend to be an early adopter of technology, and that's one of the things that I really like doing uh, as part of my daily routine is to check what are the new startups out there, how are people. You know, using new tools, what's moving, what's shifting. It's all about kind of this, uh, this ecosystem and, and this passion you have for progress. That's so cool. And, and thanks for sharing some of your ninja, you know, like behaviors and in, in your daily uh, morning routine. That That's awesome. So I want to kind of finish up with healthcare trends. What do you think are some of the most exciting trends that you're following in healthcare? So first of all, you know, with the shift to uh, cannibal care, uh, Obamacare, people are obviously finding ways to gain in efficiency, cost utilization, you know, decrease cost, understanding population. And so there are a lot of tools out there that do serve that primary purpose. But then I'm starting to witness tools that kind of intercalate between those primary tools 
and maybe data or security or other things. So there are services for services that I'm noticing now. It's somewhat clever. Uh, you know, a lot of times, similar to Rubicon MD, when you're, you're the first mover in the space, there's always the opportunity to really scale really fast. You know, if you've got the right team, uh, some luck, you know, the right partnerships, et cetera, et cetera. I think uh, in terms of kind of those primary silos, I guess, I would say data. There's a lot of data out there. I went to Hims recently and everyone was talking about um, data transfer interoperability. And so the, the ability to actually collect the data, organize it, and being able to share it um, amongst institutions is going to be extremely important in the next you know, five to 10 years. I would say using data or usually using data space of the space of population health. I think there are a lot of groups out there uh, who are still figuring out how to transition into an ACO. Some of them are, I think some of them are IPA, some of them are a group of sort of practices or small groups of practices. And uh, what I hear, sometimes in the rural health, um, and what I hear is that as part of their priorities, typically the first priority is to understand their population better, uh, either through, usually through data and be able to risk stratify that population so that they can use technology or implement various programs or initiatives to actually curb the cost of their you know, high-cost patients. So these are two of the kind of big important trends that I see. Thanks for sharing that. Dr. Julian Pham, it was an absolute honor and privilege to have you on The Modern MD. I'm excited for your journey at Rubicon, and I wish you all the best. Thanks for your time, Greg. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Modern MD. Head to themodernmd.com to get links and recaps of every show and so much more. Dose up and like The Modern MD Facebook page.